Good morning. Well, open up your Bibles. Um, Happy New Year, by the way. The very first day of 2023. Can you believe it? We're gathered, of course, around the Word to worship Christ. That's a great way to start the new year. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. First Peter is where we're going to be this morning. First Peter, and if you're new to the Christian faith, maybe new to the scriptures, first uh, Peter is in the New Testament. The scriptures are divided. Old Testament, New Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. First Peter's in the New Testament, near the back, back half of the New Testament. It is after the book of James, Hebrews, James, and then first Peter. It's right before, of course, if you know the scriptures, it's right before Second Peter. It's really helpful. If you get to Second Peter, you just know, oh, I just need to turn back a couple pages. So First Peter is where we're going to be. And once you're there, skip down to chapter 2. First Peter, chapter 2. You know, one of the most staggering claims of the gospel that humanity has to wrestle with is the claim, the assertion, that your eternal destiny is determined in the here and now by what you do with Jesus of Nazareth. That's a pretty big claim. And make no mistake about it, the scriptures assert this all over the place, that your eternal destiny is determined by what you do in the here and now with the person of Jesus Christ. And maybe one of the most clearest places that this is explained is in 1 Peter chapter 2. And what's happening in 1 Peter is uh, Peter is uh, saying how Christ is building a new community. He's building a new spiritual house. And so he's, he's using language reminiscent of the temple. And Christ is the living stone. He's the cornerstone. And when we trust him and we build our lives upon him, we're joined together with him. And we're made into living stones as well. We're fitted and we're joined together. And we're building, Christ is building as his new spiritual house, his new community. But then he goes on, he says, but while those who reject him, those who stumble over him, who stumble over him as the cornerstone, will in the end be crushed by him. And he's using this language of a cornerstone. And the cornerstones in the temple, I don't know if you know. I mean, we're not talking just little stones. We're talking gigantic. One of the cornerstones in the temple at the time was 570 tons. So we're talking massive stones. So you're either going to build your life upon him, is what Peter's saying, or you're going to stumble over him, and in the end you're going to be crushed by him. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, this is how Peter explains it. He starts quoting scripture. Starts quoting Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 28, and Psalm 110. He says, for it stands in scripture. Behold, he's quoting um, Isaiah 28 here. He says, behold, I am laying in Zion, and Zion's another way of saying Jerusalem. I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. So the honor is for, is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So Peter, just in a couple of verses here, he quotes, he quotes like I said, Isaiah 28, Isaiah 8, Psalm 118. And they all use this metaphor of the Lord as a stone. And then he says this, that this stone will be a cornerstone which all of life will be built upon. Or it'll be a stumbling stone that will cause one to collapse before it and ultimately will be crushed by it. So you'll either rise with him or you'll stumble before him. Now listen, it's one or the other is what Peter is saying. You'll either build upon the stone, the Lord Jesus, or you'll stumble over him, you'll reject him, and you'll fall away from him. Meaning your eternal destiny really is determined in the here and now by what you do with this Jesus. You'll either rise up with him or you'll stumble over him and fall. Now listen, that is what Peter is saying is a staggering reality. He says this Jesus really is the cornerstone that was chosen by the Lord. And you either have to make a, you have to make a decision regarding him. Are you going to build your life upon him? Or are you going to stumble over his claims and in the end fall away from him and crushed by him? That's a staggering claim. But again, it's what the prophets predicted. It's what the apostles taught. It's what the church for 2,000 years has declared. And in our text today, in Luke chapter 2, you can go ahead and turn there, we start to see this reality be realized a month into Jesus' life. Just a month into Jesus' life. And so this morning, what we're going to do is in Luke chapter 2, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to finish our look into the infancy material regarding Jesus' life. And then next week, we'll jump back into Genesis. So we're going to look this morning at Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. And the background, of course, to this material is, well, the birth of Jesus. Of course, that's the background material. And we were told, we looked at last week how Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem as a census was being taken. They had to be in Bethlehem. And so they go to Bethlehem. The city's packed because all of the descendants of David had to be there to register for the census. And while they were there, remember, Mary's time came and she gave birth to Jesus. And Luke mentions a couple of things that when we think about the birth of Christ, we really have to really... um hone in on. First of all, he was born at night. That was the first thing. It was a kind of a striking thing, but he was born at night. We read in verse 8 that there were shepherds watching their flocks by night. And the darkness motif, it symbolizes the state of the world and the state of humanity in relation to God. Apart from uh, the light of Christ Humanity is in a state of darkness. And that darkness motif, that carries all the way through the thread of the gospel. Because remember when Jesus is being crucified. As he's being crucified, in all, well, in all the synoptic gospels, we read this, and darkness fell upon the land. As he's being crucified. So the, the darkness is a motif that runs all the way through the gospels. And what it is highlighting, what it's symbolizing, is that humanity, apart from the light of Christ is actually living in darkness. No, how, no matter how enlightened we may feel, no, how, no matter how enlightened we've been educated to believe we are, in relation to God, 
If you're not in relation with Christ, you're living in the darkness towards God. And so he was born into the darkness. Um, he was born at night. Second, he was born to humble parents. He was born to humble parents. And we know that Joseph and Mary were quite young and quite poor when Jesus was born to them. And we'll see more of that in our text today. We'll see just how poor they were. These were folks who were without social standing. They had no social standing in the world. And they represent, these are the type of people that Jesus comes to. He was born to these people, and they represent the type of people that Jesus comes to save. Those who are humble and hungry in heart. Those who are without franchise in this age, and they're trusting the Lord every step of the way. So he was born at night, he was born to humble parents, and then third, what we, we saw last week, is that he was born to rescue and redeem humanity. The angel comes, and we're not told which angel, but presumably it was Gabriel, because he got all the other good announcements. He tells the shepherds out in the field, born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior, Christ the Lord. And the term Savior, Rick mentioned it last week, the, the term Savior there is the Greek word uh, sotera, and it means a deliverer, someone who will bring about a rescue. And Christ, um, that, that, that's the term for Messiah. So this child born to Joseph and Mary is the Messianic Savior who will rescue and redeem humanity. And this is why, this is why the birth of Christ is such darn good news. Because with his coming, look at what, with his coming, what it means. It means he's come to penetrate the darkness, to rescue and redeem those who are humble and hungry in heart, who are completely depending upon the Lord rather than themselves, and who want to receive his light and his life. This is why the gospel is such good news. And this is why the shepherds, after finding Jesus, just as the angels said they would, in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, this is why we're told they went and they spread the word about it. They made known what they had been told and why they went away rejoicing and praising God. Because they had been let in on the most astounding news in the world. That the messianic king, who will overthrow all the other kingdoms of the world, has come. That's an amazing message. Now, what we're going to see this morning in our text is we're going to move forward one week from the birth of Christ. Just one week, eight days later. And uh, we have seen already what the angels have said about it, how the shepherds responded to the birth of Christ. And now in our text we're g- this morning, we're going to see what Joseph and Mary do next. Because it's instructive for us as parents, what Joseph and Mary do next. And then we'll see what's said regarding Jesus by two other faithful Jewish folks. So Luke 21, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. And before we look at the text, let me give you the outline right up front in case you're a note taker. If you're a note taker, take note. The text breaks down real nicely into two sections. The first one, verses 21 through 24, uh, Jesus is confirmed in the Jewish law. He's confirmed in the Jewish law. Joseph and Mary are very intentional, and they raise Jesus in conformity to God's word. They're very intentional about it. So Jesus is confirmed in the Jewish law, that's 21 through 24. And then next, in verses 25 through 40, what we'll see is Jesus is affirmed affirmed by the Jewish faithful. So he 
21 through 24, he's confirmed in the Jewish law. 25 through 40, he's affirmed by the Jewish faithful. A faithful Jewish man comes forward and speaks of Jesus. And then later, a faithful Jewish woman also comes forward and speaks highly of Jesus. So both a man and a woman who were people of piety, they come and they affirm Jesus. The, Jew, the faithful Jewish people come to the recognition of who Jesus really is and they praise God because of him. That's an amazing thing. Um, so let's get into the text. Beginning in verse 21 in Luke chapter 2. Here's what Luke tells us. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So Luke starts out by telling us that uh, when Jesus was eight days old, so a week later after his birth, Joseph and Mary did for him what any Jewish parents did which was to have their sons circumcised in accordance with the Old Testament law. This was what they were told to do in the word, and so that's what they did. And remember, circumcision, it was, uh, it was the sign that you belong to the covenant community. And so that's, it was a, an incredibly important thing. And so Jesus' parents, beginning at eight days old, they said, okay, this is the, the rhythm and the routine of the law, and therefore we're going we're gonna to practice it. And so they had Jesus circumcised, and they give him the name that the angel told him to give him, the name Jesus, which, again, we've mentioned it, I think, every week. Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. Um, it's, it's the Greek translation of Joshua, and Joshua means Yahweh is salvation. And, so, and that comes into play in our text this morning. And so verse 22, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of, in the law of the Lord, a, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Uh, so what happens here? Luke wraps he wraps two ceremonies together here. Each one of them is prescribed in the law. The first involved the purification of the mother. And after the birth of a child, um, a woman would be ritually unclean for 40 days. Now, please listen. That doesn't mean they were in sin. It doesn't mean they didn't love their children. They loved their babies and they viewed them as a gift of God every bit as much as you do. But what it means is they came into contact with blood. And according to the law, um, that made you ceremonially unclean. And therefore, there were certain rules and restrictions regarding it that went along with it. And so 33 days after being having Jesus circumcised, Joseph and Mary, they make the trek from Nazareth to Jerusalem where they enter the, the temple and they offer a sacrifice, which according to Leviticus chapter 12, um, the sacrifice was to be a lamb and a turtle dove. However, the law made exceptions for those who were poor. And instead of, if you couldn't afford a lamb and a turtle dove or a pigeon, you could buy two birds. You could buy two turtle doves or two pigeons, which is what we see Joseph and Mary do here. They buy, they can't afford the higher sacrifice, so they, they buy two 
turtle doves or pigeons, we're not told which one. But they, they buy one of those, which again indicates that Joseph and, and Mary were not wealthy, but they were quite poor. And also notice in verse 22, it says, when the time for their purification, um, meaning both mom and dad. And normally, it would have just been the woman who needed purification. Um, but because of the nature of Jesus' birth, because there was probably no midwives present, Joseph also became ritually unclean. And so he had to go through the, the process of purification as well. So that's the first ceremony that was prescribed in the Torah. Now, the, the, am I boring you with law talk? <laughs> it's not, I, I sometimes wonder about that. Okay, we're talking about the Old Testament law. How exciting. Okay, well that was the first one. They, they went through the process of purification. Now the second one was the dedication of the firstborn son. And again, according to the law, every firstborn son was to be dedicated to the Lord, lock, stock, and barrel. The Lord tells parents, I've given you your son. You need to offer him back to me. Your firstborn child belongs to me. And again, this was uh, more symbolic than anything. And it remembered how the Lord redeemed the nation of Israel from, um, from bondage to the Egyptians. And how those who had their, their um, door frames covered with the lamb's blood... Um, they passed through, and the firstborn sons of the Egyptians didn't have the lamb's blood, and they died. And so this was this was a, a, a symbolic, um, a symbolic redeeming, and it was it was very it was a very easy thing to do. It was only five shekels, which was approximately the cup of a cup of Starbucks. Um, so it was a very it was just redeem it was a symbolic thing, but what it was saying is that you knew that your child belonged to the Lord before he belonged to you. By the way, moms and dads, do you know that? That your children really belong to the Lord before they belong to you. If you do, I mean if you really down deep down at a heart level say, No, my children really belong to the Lord before they belong to me, it heightens your appreciation of them in the first place. Because let's be honest, there are times we don't appreciate our children. Like last night, I had four of them running around my house at midnight as I was trying to sleep. Uh, There's times we don't appreciate, but when you say, no, they really belong to the Lord, they're really created in His image, and they belong to Him first, it heightens your appreciation of them. It deepens your um, resolve for peace when things are going a little bit haywire in their life. You can say, no, the Lord knows what they need. The Lord cares about them more than I do. I can trust them with the Lord. Um, it, 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 it causes you to say, well, how can I help fashion and form my child in a way that better represents the Lord? Because ultimately, they're his kid before they're my kid, and I want them to image him more than they image me. Does that make sense? So all of these things are happening. And so this was a symbolic thing. He says, he says you've got to redeem your children. You've got to know. You've got to let me know that you know. That these kids are not a right of yours. They're a gift. And so Mary and Joseph, they go and they, they make that sacrifice. They do, they do what they uh, are supposed to do. They go and they, they make that dedication. Okay, so now look. Look what Mary and, and uh, Joseph have done here. They've circumcised Jesus according to the law. They go through the purification and the dedication ceremonies according to the law. They're doing everything that they're, they're supposed to do 
that they're called to do in accordance with the law. What they're doing is they're setting the rhythms and the routines for the spiritual formation of their child. And if they had to do that for Jesus, how much more do you think we need to do it? Because Jesus isn't choosing any of this at this point. They're setting the rhythms and the routines. They're saying, this is what the word of the Lord says to do. And as a family, we're going to do it. They set the rhythms and the routines for the spiritual formation of their child. Now listen, if you're a parent, you got young children, uh, this is a good example to follow. They're saying there are rhythms and the routines that we can do as a family that will nurture the spiritual formation of our child's life. And we're going to get into them. Now, you may be saying, well, I haven't done that all my child's life. Okay, well, so what? You can start now. It's never too late to start. Um, It's a new year. You can say as a family, this is a new year, family. We're going to do things in our home. Um, We're going to dedicate ourselves, and it's going to be timely. It's going to be costly. There's going to be times that we're going to be tired. But as a family, we're going to do our best to set the rhythms and routines and we're going to be intentional about it so that the spiritual formation of our children is, is deepened. That's a great thing. If you, um, There's a two-year Bible reading plan that if you want a copy of it, it's what our family's going to use. Um, we've tried the one year before. We always got bogged down in Leviticus. And then we were, we never caught up. And then it became a chore and not a delight. And I thought, well, this isn't good for anybody. So if you want a two-year reading plan, uh, email me, Travis at Trail. I can't give you the old one, Rick at Trail, anymore. Um, so Travis at Trail.org, if you want it, I'll email it to you. It's what we're going to use. It's a two-year plan. It takes you one, ver- one, one chapter in the Old Testament, one chapter in uh, either Psalms or Proverbs. It's, it's much easier to do, two years. But you're, what you're doing is you're setting the rhythms and routines as a family, forming the spir- spiritual formation for your children. That's what Mary and Joseph are doing here. Now, look at what Luke's doing here. He wants us to see that Jesus was born under the law. And even at a young age, through his parents, he was fulfilling the law, not abolishing it. And Luke, by the way, he will show that all the way through the gospel account. He wants us to see that Jesus fulfills the law perfectly. And by doing so, Jesus is completely righteous. And therefore, when he goes to the cross... And he dies the death that you deserve to die. Your sin and your guilt is imputed to him. And his righteousness, everything that he's done to live under the law, is credited to you. All of it is credited to you. He's completely righteous in this way. Jot down uh, Galatians chapter 4, if you're a note taker. Jot down Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. I'll just read it to you. It's where Paul says, But when the set time had fully come... God sent his son, born of a woman, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. That's remarkable. And what Luke wants us to see is that Jesus has come, and even from the eight days old, he is coming to fulfill every aspect of the law. So that when you fail at it, and you will, and I will, and we have, you trust him for his righteousness, and he gives it to you completely. That, that's, a, that's remarkable. And Luke wants us to see that he's fulfilling it all the way through. Even as a one-month-old, he's fulfilling it on our behalf. 
So that's verses 21 through 24. Jesus is confirmed in the Jewish law. Now, verses 25 through 40, Jesus is affirmed by the Jewish faithful. And as I mentioned earlier, he's going to be affirmed by an older Jewish man and an older Jewish woman. And together, they represent the hopes of all of Israel. And remember, Jesus at this point is just a month old when these scenes take place. Do you remember how small and needy your children were at one month old? You could fit them in the forearm, your forearm and rock them to sleep. That's, that's Jesus at this point. This is why Chuck Swindoll quips, it's deity in diapers um, at this point. He is so small and so needy. And what's said about him, though, is rather remarkable. So Joseph and Mary, they bring him to the temple. And the temple complex, remember, it's huge. It's 37 acres in size. And they're either in the court of the Gentiles or the court of the women. It doesn't really matter. Both of them are huge. But as they're, they're making their way, walking across the temple, this older man approaches and looks at their child and begins to say some remarkable things. Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the comfort of Israel to come. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. Go and just stop right there. Um, Luke says he was led by the spirit into the temple. Now being led by the spirit, that doesn't mean he was in a trance. What it means is he was walking with the Lord. And the Lord told him that the promised one, the Messiah, the anointed one, was, was in the temple. And so he walks into the temple, and he sees these kids, Joseph and Mary, walking around holding their own kid. And he walks up to Mary, and he takes Jesus into his arms. And instead of talking baby talk, instead of talking gibberish, he starts praising God. And look at what Simeon says. He says some amazing things about Jesus. Look at verse 29. He holds Jesus in his arms. He blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. You gotta just imagine the Simeon's this old guy, he holds Jesus in his arms, he looks up at just praising the Lord, he says, Lord, I could die a happy man now. This is amazing, your promise has been realized. And look at what he says. He looks at a one month old and he says, This is salvation incarnate. <laughs> a one month old. Now you've probably had some people say some really nice things about your kid when they were one month old. But nobody probably picked up your kid and said, this is salvation incarnate. This is the one. This is what Mary and Joseph hear. This is what they hear. This is salvation incarnate. But he goes on. He says more than that. He says he's a light for the nations. And he's glory for the people of Israel. 
No wonder it says in verse 33 that Joseph and Mary marveled at these things. All the things that were said about their baby boy. This man has just said their son is going to have a worldwide impact. This is seemingly really positive news. I mean, in Mary's mind already, she's seeing her son's picture on the front page of the Jerusalem Gazette. This is local boy makes good on a universal level. And she's like, yes, my son, this is great. She's bursting with pride. Joseph is kind of just there, uh, probably dazzled by it all, just marveling at what's being said. But then Simeon lets them know, while there is some incredibly good news concerning this child, it won't all be good news. And what he says next is some incredibly hard news. Look at verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul, your own soul also. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Hmm. This is the first time in the Gospel of Luke in this bright tapestry that a dark thread is woven into this tapestry. Simeon looks at Mary, this young mom, and says, your, your son's going to be a lightning rod, in essence. Your son's going to be a lightning rod. He says, he's going to cause division. That's in verse 34. He's going, to be a, he's going to be responsible. He's going to be appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Think back to what we read in First Peter chapter 2. He's going to be, uh, he's appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. So his life will cause division. Some will stumble over him and they will fall, while others will build their life upon him. So Simeon says his life will cause division. Second, he'll be opposed He's going to be a sign. He'll be a sign that's opposed. Meaning, he's going to be constantly rejected. Constantly rejected. And this was certainly true in Jesus' life. And then lastly, Simeon tells her, his life and his ministry will cause you deep pain. He says a sword will pierce your own soul also. And the word he uses for sword there, uh, it's, it's not the same word that in other places is used for like a dagger. It, this is designating a very large, broad, two-sided sword. So all of a sudden, this good news about Jesus has turned to very bad news for Mary. And I want you to consider her for a second. Have you ever seen one of your children be rejected by a peer? What does it do to you? It crushes you, does it not? It breaks your heart into a million little pieces. It just absolutely guts you. Take that feeling, mom and dad. And multiply it by an entire nation. Because that's what happens to Jesus. From the top down, from the religious leadership all the way down to the common person. They rejected Jesus. And Mary, Mary dealt it all. Mary watched it all and she dealt with all of the emotions. And the only people who seemed to identify with him, well, were the social outcasts. And not only that, Mary had to watch her son be executed. And then she had to do the thing that no parent wants, parent wants to do, and that's bury her own son. Again, Mary's not the object of our faith, 
but she's a remarkable woman of faith. And she must have said to herself, as she's absorbing this news, she must have said something along the, Lord, along the lines of, okay, Lord, you're calling me into this incredibly hard thing. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that it's going to move forward your plan of redemption. And the pain and the suffering that my son's going to endure and the emotional roller coaster that I'm going to be on, it's going to be used by you to draw both Jews and Gentiles into salvation. That's the only way she, she could have moved. It's the only way she could have received this news and still moved forward in faith with God. And listen, friend, the, the same is true for you. The only way to move forward in faith with the Lord when you're going through some incredibly hard things, things that you never would have signed up for, things in your life that you never imagined would have happened to you, you never imagined you'd be walking through, the only way you can get through those things is to say, Lord, you've called me into this, and I don't know why. I don't like it. This is not something I would have signed up for, but I trust you. In fact, I trust you more than I trust myself. I trust you more than I trust my surroundings. And I'm going to trust you that you're going to use the pain and the suffering that I'm experiencing. The emotional roller coaster that I'm on, you're going to use all of it for your good purposes. And you're going to draw those people who are watching my life into salvation. And in the future, maybe here or in your presence, I'm going to look, on, I'm going to look back on all of it and I'm going to say it was worth it. It was worth it because the pain that I experienced here is just a drop in the bucket to the pain that they would have experienced for all of eternity apart from you. And if you can use me in this way, then so be it. That's the only way. It's the only way. When you, th- you think of what Mary just hears here, it's the only way to move forward. And Christian friend, it is the same for you. Are you have you been delivered some hard news in 2022? Have you, have you gone on an emotional roller coaster in 2022? The only way to continue to move forward, we were praying about this in the green room this morning. The only way, when you roll over into a New Year's and every, everybody's happy, chippy, and cheery, but when, you're, when you got news that you didn't want to get, when your spouse up and leaves you, when the doctor tells you it's cancer, you have a loved one die, the only way to persevere through that is to say, Lord, I don't like this news, but I trust you. I trust you're going to use all of this, every bit of it, for your good purposes. And the people who are watching my life right now, you're going to draw some of those people into saving faith. And the pain that I'm experiencing now, in the end, it'll be worth it. I will look back on all of this. You can read Romans chapter 8. I will look back on all of this. And I will say it was worth it because the pain that I'm experiencing now is a drop in the bucket to the pain that my loved ones, who I'm, I've been praying for years to come to faith, it'll save them. It's just a drop in the bucket to the pain that they would have experienced for all of eternity. Does that make sense? So Simeon tells Joseph and Mary some extremely good but hard news. And as they're processing that, another, another godly saint makes her way over these young parents and starts praising God for their child. Look at verse 36. And there was a prophetess, uh, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. It's a nice way of Luke putting that. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years, uh, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. 
so she's, there a couple different ways of doing the math. I'm not going to bore you. Um, I think it means she's 84. There's commentators spend reams of books trying to figure out if she's 100 or 4 or 84. My guess is she's 84. Um, so she lived with her husband for seven years. He, he passed away. She became a widow. And, lived, and at this point, she's 84 years old. And, and second part of verse 37, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So again, a very pious Jewish faithful woman. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She does the same thing. She sees Jesus and she says, this is the one. This is the one who will redeem Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, by the way, it's the capital of Israel. So she's speaking in national terms. It's kind of like when somebody from another country speaks of Washington, D.C. They're referring to all of America. That's what she's saying here. She's saying, this is the one who's going to redeem Israel. And verse 39, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Okay, let's stop right there. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to go back and I want to see what Simeon says about the child that he's holding in his arms because he says three things that are happening through this child. You see in verse 34 there, it says this child is. So each one of these closing points, we're going to start with that phrase, this child is, and there's three of them. So let me give them to you up front. So that if you're a note taker, you can take note. So I'll give them to you and then we'll work our way through them. So the three things that Simeon says are this. This child is the fulfillment of God's promise. This child is the fulfillment of God's promise whether you know it or not. He's the fulfillment of God's promise whether you know it or not. The second one is, this child is for all people groups. Whether you like it or not. And there were some people in Jesus' day who did not like it. This child is for all people groups, whether you like it or not. Here's a third one. This child is God's means of salvation. Whether you want him or not. So this child is fulfillment of God's promise, whether you know it or not. This child is for all people groups, whether you like it or not. This child is God's means of salvation, whether you want him or not. So here's the first one. This child is the fulfillment of God's promise, whether you know it or not. Well, what promise? Which promise? All of them. All of them. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the proto-evangelion, the very first mention of the gospel, where God says one would come from the woman who would break the curse of death and decay. Well, how would he break the curse? By defeating Satan, sin, and death. And Simeon, he holds this child in his hands, and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Meaning this child is the one through whom the curse would be put to death. The curse of death and decay would give way through this child to life and flourishing. So this child is fulfillment of his grand universal promise, but he's also the fulfillment of, of the national promise. Well, what was the national promise? 
the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17. We've been in Genesis for the last four months. Well, what was the Abrahamic covenant? Remember, God comes to Abraham when he's 75 years old. His wife is barren. And he says, through your line. And, and Abraham's looking around, what line? I don't have a line. What are you talking about? God says, well, through your line, one will come who will mediate blessing to all the nations of the earth. And Abraham is astounded by this news. He says, I don't know about that. He says, but, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to move forward in faith. This one would come who would mediate blessing to all the people on the earth. Well, where do you get that in this passage? You see in verse 32? It says, Simeon, Simeon says, this child is glory to your people Israel. Israel's glory is that the Messiah comes through them. This child fulfills the national promise, the promise to the nation. So this child fulfills the promise of the universal promise to break the curse, the national promise to Israel that the Messiah would come through them, who would bring blessing to all the peoples of the earth. But this child also fulfills God's personal promise to Simeon. Because the Lord tells him he wouldn't die until he sees the Lord's Christ. And upon holding Jesus, what does he say? <laughs> he says, Sovereign Lord, you can dismiss me. You can dismiss your servant in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. So this child fulfills the personal promise to Simeon. Don't you see? This is why Paul in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, he says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. This is why it is through him we utter our, our amen to God for, for his glory. Now look at this. At every level, universally, nationally, and personally, God fulfills his promise through this child, which means for you, at every level of your existence, you can trust him. Even when it doesn't look like it or feel like it. Just as in the case of Abraham, and Simeon, because I'm sure there were moments in each one of their lives where it didn't look like the promise was going to come to pass. It didn't look like for Abraham that a son would ever be born to him. We know that account. We've been reading it on Sundays. At all sorts of turns, Abraham doubted that the Lord would come about, the promise would come about. That's why he took Hagar. I'm sure Simeon, after years of not, not seeing the Lord's salvation, questioned it. So even when it doesn't feel like that you can trust the Lord's promise, you, based on this, you can trust the Lord's promise. At both a micro and a macro level, you can trust him. Which produces, should produce, amazing peace for you in the midst of tremendous difficulty. And again, I don't know what challenges you may be experiencing right now. I know all of us are facing different things and in different uh, ways at different levels. But based upon his promise and his word, what it means for you is, because he makes some astounding promises to you in the midst of difficulty. What it means for you, in the midst of difficulty, you can be sure that you're not alone in it. And one of the things that humanity needs the most when you're facing difficulty is the sense that you're not alone in it. Because pain and hardship often is so disorienting, it feels like you're alone in the midst of it. And one of the things he says to you, he promises you, is that you're not alone in the middle of it. That whatever pain, whatever difficulty, whatever uh, 
trauma that you're experiencing right now, you're not alone in the midst of it. He also promises that he'll strengthen you through it and he'll mature you and grow you and use you in the midst of it. That's, that's a wonderful promise. All of these realities give us tremendous peace in the midst of difficulty. So this child is the fulfillment of God's promise, stretching all the way back to the Garden of Eden, stretching all the way forward to the new heavens and the new earth. Here's the second thing he tells us. This child is for all people groups, whether you like it or not. This child is for all people groups, whether you like it or not. Simeon says in verse 32, this child is a light for revelation to the Gentiles or to the nations and for glory to your people, Israel. And what Simeon is doing here is um, so amazing because what he's doing is he's applying to Jesus what Isaiah said about the coming Messiah. He's, he's looking at Jesus. He's thinking back to Isaiah, Isaiah 49. I won't make you turn there. But he's thinking of Isaiah 49, and he's applying it all to Jesus. Because Isaiah described the mission of the Messiah in this way. Let me read it to you. Here's how Isaiah says the mission of the Messiah is. He says, it's too light a thing. that you, It's too light a thing. That you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. And to restore the preserved of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations. Why? So that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That's marvelous. And, and Simeon, as he's holding Jesus, he's thinking of Isaiah 49. He's saying, this is what it is. This child is the one who's going to do this. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah who, brings to, who, who comes to bring glory to Israel. But the mercy that's shown to Israel, it overwhelms, overwhelms the banks of Israel. And it brings revelation to all the nations of the earth. That's, that's amazing. Isaiah's saying it would be a dishonor to the Messiah if he didn't give him more to do than just restore the glory of an oppressed and sinful Israel. That's too light of a thing, is what Isaiah is saying. That's not enough. So this child is for all people groups. His mission wasn't just for one people. It wasn't just for Israel. But it was for everyone, regardless of their racial, their religious, or their socioeconomic background. Now let me ask you something. How committed to that are you? How committed to that are you, that Jesus isn't just for one people group? He's for all sorts of people, every sort of person. Because this understanding of Jesus' mission, it undergirds and it propels forward our mission to every people group under the sun and around the globe. And the good news of the gospel, the good news of of the day that we're living is, um, you may not have to travel around the globe to bring the gospel to a different people group. You may just have to walk across the street and engage your neighbor. That's wonderful news. And what it does is it, it leaves out that Jesus' mission is for every people group. You know what it does? It gives you no room for any, th- any sort of racist thoughts. Um, it excludes it. There's no way because every, every people group is made in the image of God. Every people group is Jesus has come to redeem and to bring forth into the kingdom. And so it, what it does, there's no room for a Christian to say, I, I won't go to that people. I don't like that certain person group, that, that, that certain people group. It excludes, there's no way, there's no room for any Christian 
who claims to be a Christian to have racist thoughts. Because Jesus is for every people group, whether you like it or not. So this child, what Simeon is saying, is this child is fulfillment of God's promise, whether you know it or not. This child is for all people groups, whether you like it or not. Here's a third one. This child is God's means of salvation, whether you want him or not. He is the means of salvation, whether you want him or not. But why wouldn't you want him? You know the life of Christ. Everybody in the world respects the person of Jesus Christ. So why wouldn't you want him? Forget about the church. The church is crazy at times. So I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about Christ. Why wouldn't you want him? Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that's opposed so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. God sends forth his son. And in essence, he says, he's the fulfillment of my promises. There's no other way of salvation but through him. And humanity has to make a choice whether they want him or not. Humanity has to make a choice whether they want him or not. Human beings are moral agents. Each and every one of us has moral agency, and we make decisions regarding our relationship with God. And there's no question about that, by the way. We all make decisions regarding our relationship with God. Despite his sovereignty, despite his uh, providence, we make decisions. He speaks to humans, and he says, you have to make a choice. Are you for me or are you against me? And that's how the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Right there. When the Spirit presses in on us and says, you have to make a decision regarding me. Are you for me or are you against me? At that moment, when when we think, am I for him or am I against him? That's how the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. By what you decide to do with Jesus in the here and now. Because there's no neutrality here. You see, you either stumble over Jesus' claims to be God in the flesh and you'll, you'll oppose him or you'll embrace him as the fulfillment of God's promise. The only one through whom salvation is found. And you'll, be, you'll begin to build your life upon him. This child, Simeon says, is the means of God's salvation. He's the joy of God's faithful search. Servants. He's the fulfillment of all of the other, all the other of God's promises. The one who breaks the curse by becoming a curse for us, as Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3. Paul says in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Christ absorbs the curse by going to the cross for us. So that you can be freed from it. And Simeon's prophecy to Mary that a sword will pierce her own soul too. That's made in the shadow of the cross. Because this child will grow to become a man. Who will go to the cross to pay for your sin and my sin. And to make forgiveness and salvation available to any and all. But friend, you have to make a decision. There's no sitting on the fence regarding the Lord Jesus. And your destiny, your eternal destiny, will either rise or fall based upon what you do with Jesus.
So my advice, make today. If you're not a Christian yet, make today, the very first day of 2023, the day of your salvation. Come to the Lord. He will take you right where you are at, no matter what you have done. You open up your heart to him and you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know it. I put on a good show. (laughs) But I can't hide the truth from you. I know I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me of my sins? I trust that you're really the Lord, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Let me be one of your children and live with you forever. He will take that simple prayer right now and make you one of his kids. And today will be the day of your salvation. So let's pray. Father, this is a stark passage in a lot of ways, Lord. It's cute and in some ways. Anytime we see a, a story of a, of a little child, there's an element of cuteness to it. And yet, there's a stark, sobering reality to it. That we are moral agents and we make decisions about our relationship with God. And you are pressing in on us right now to make a decision for you. And so, Father, we pray, I pray, those, those of us who are Christians are praying that your spirit right now would be prompting the hearts of people who have for long rejected you, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would turn over their life to you. They would admit what we all know to be true about each other, that we're sinners. And that yet you offer to us forgiveness, your mercy. You offer us new life in Christ Jesus. A way to have a relationship with you, not based on our works, but based on yours, what you have done on our behalf. And you offer your grace as a gift to us. Father, would your spirit please impress these realities upon the hearts and the minds of people who need to know it and to grasp it and let their heart, their, the thoughts of their hearts be revealed this morning in deciding to come to you, in deciding to accept your grace, your gift, and to walk with you all the days of their life. Father, for those of us who are Christians, maybe for a long time now, we pray, um, especially in the beginning of a new year, that we would set our sights on walking with Christ day in and day out, living in your grace, not striving to earn your favor because your favor has been bestowed upon us by Christ, but living in and living out the reality of being a Uh, forgiven, chosen child of God. Help us to do this well. Help us to extend your grace at every turn to the people that we rub our shoulders with. We trust you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.